Holy, holy, holy is the God of Israel. Elders bow in worship as the angel voices swell. Fragrant clouds of incense swirl around your throne of grace. Lord, we bow in worship at the brilliance of your face. We cry, Holy, 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 Holy. Is the Lord holy, 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 holy is the Lord holy, holy, holy is the song that has Hallelujah, Elohim. Come to reign forever, King of kings and Lord of Lift your head, O Zion. Open wide your ancient doors and cry. We are, are in the middle of our uh, sermon series on uh, reconciling all things to Christ through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I encourage you to turn there. Um, again, that will be, if you have the Red Pew Bibles, it will begin on page 1156. Is there any uh, Les Miserables fans in this room? Anybody like really passionate? Some people are like really passionate about that story. I never was in theater or play when I was in school, but I have friends that are just kind of really obsessed with that story. And it's actually a really good story. And it kind of gives us a good backdrop for the sermon that we're going to be walking through, the text that we're walking through this morning. And Victor Hugo's famous story, Les Miserables, um, I'm going to butcher this, Jean Valjean, is that correct? I don't know. You might know. Okay, good. See, there's some of you out there that know about this. I've seen it admittedly only once, so I'm not very well versed in my 
Les Miserables. Jean Valjean, uh, he was, re- the story begins, he was recently released from prison, and he's kind of struggling his complex story, I'm summarizing, struggling to get things back on track, uh, even to find food, to get his life together. But eventually, a bishop, a Christian bishop, takes him in. This bishop was a man formed very deeply in the ways of Christ. He treats Valajean, Valajean, with uh, uh, um, not as a former convict, but like a brother, or even almost like a member of his own family, just unusual kindness and grace given to this man. However, Valajean, uh, he kind of picks up some of his old ways here, and he steals silver from the bishop, and he runs off with the silver, kind of a, you know, uh, a habit of his, repeating some of the old vices that threw him into prison in the first place. He is caught, and it becomes expectant that he will find himself back in the very prison that he came from. But however, as uh, Valjean, he, he made up the lie, saying, oh, well, it was, a, it was a gift from the bishop. I didn't steal it, which was a lie. Uh, the bishop says he's right. It was a gift. And it really brings confusion to Valjean. He's like, what? What is he doing right now? It was a gracious act of the bishop, and it stirred Valjean. And he, and, and he was like, well, why would this man do something like this. And the bishop told him, he said, use that silver to restart your life. And he, he, said, he said, Jean, my brother, you belong no longer to evil but to good. It is your soul that I am trying to buy for you. I withdraw it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it unto God. That was his prayer for him. And the, the musical version of this, right, there's a kind of masterful, masterful song that is sung at this point by Valagin as he wrestles with this gracious act of the bishop. And, and he says this, he said, he, the bishop, he said, he told me I have a soul. How did he know? How can I escape from this life? Is there no other way to go? He says, I will now escape from that world, from the world of Jean Valagin, Jean Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. It is a gracious act in that man's life that completely altered the course of his life. And it was from a Christian bishop knowing that the gospel and the grace of the gospel fueled his actions entirely. This morning we're going to talk about the results of such a powerful act of grace exemplified by that story, but also in our lives. Um, uh, the grace of Christ is indeed a miraculous power of grace. My hope is that in this very famous part of Scripture that you will not leave here today without either being reminded of this powerful grace or perhaps if you're here and you think you've heard of this and you think you are perhaps been walking with Jesus or are a Christian this morning, but when you hear this powerful word of grace that is available to you, that maybe for the first time you can meet your Lord Jesus. So this morning we're going to be walking through, uh, here's a little roadmap. We're going to talk about how um, in in this this story of ours that we once were living in death, defining, we're going to define terms of sin and transgression and what we mean by that. Then we're going to talk about what it means to be made alive in Christ, and then about uh, receiving His grace in order that we may show His grace, and then lastly, that we're saved by grace for, not by works, but for good works. And so, very famous part of Scripture. It's a very amazing part of Scripture. And so, um, let that story of kind of Les Miserables kind of like, you know, swirl in the back of your mind as we begin this part of Scripture. So, let's begin in um, Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, and remember, week number one here, you is plural, so my Georgia gets to come out. This is y'all, right? As for y'all, says Paul, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Let me just pray before we continue on. I want to pray for, um, just pray. Jesus, we, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts into your word, Lord. Your word is inspired by you. We recognize 
that every word in Scripture, Lord, that you wanted there and your Holy Spirit helped and caused them and inspired them to be written. So, Jesus, we pray that the Spirit would be active this morning as the word is spoken, that he would open up our hearts to receive the words and open up our ears to listen, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you were all dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. He says, you used to live in sin, or rather, he kind of does something interesting. He says, you lived in death. Now, that's a paradox. How does one live in death? And mind you, even so, like, what is a transgression? What is sin? These are words that, as our post-Christian culture continues on, we don't usually find words like transgression or sin. And maybe some of you who grew up in church and are familiar with those words, you ever thought about what transgression really means? Like what, is, what does sin really mean biblically, right? We need to like break these down to understand where Paul is going here about this used to be us, says Paul. Well, the biblical imagery starting with sin, it is an archer in target practice trying to aim his arrow at the bullseye, but he misses it. He misses what he is aiming for. He missed the mark. And Paul says, you were living a life that was missing the mark. And he labels that life as death. For sin, it is missing the mark. And uh, Well, transgression, actually, it means um, uh, um, breaking uh, trust. But we'll get into that just in a moment. But he uses a very interesting phrase to define this life of death, this life of missing the mark. Um, and also this life of breaking trust, transgressions. Most Bibles use the words like the ways of the world or the course of this world. Um, but we know the Bible is a different language, written many years ago. So sometimes like it's hard to get different languages into English, right? You sometimes can lose things in translation or lose some, some complexities that are available. And so here, if you were to literally, you know, get it into English, he would, he would, it would be this way. That we used to live in the age of this world that you used to live in the age of the world. It's an interesting phrase, the age of the world. And he says the age of this world does have a ruler, and that ruler has his own kingdom. And the spirit of that ruler and of the age, it was at work in you. It energized you, actually, is what he says. And he now is at that work still in those who are living in this age, in the age of the world right? There's a lot going on. I got to break all this stuff down. So let's first start with defining sin. We already said it's missing the goal. But here's the question, like what goal, right? If, if, if he missed the mark, then what was the mark to begin with, right? If we could talk about sin, we got to talk about what the goal actually was that we were missing. What was the mark that we were actually missing, right? If we talk about transgression as breaking trust, what does that mean? Breaking trust with the whom, right? So let's start with sin. What is the goal we missed? It starts at the very beginning of our Bibles, I believe, in Genesis 1 and 2 and also in 3. We see humans created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, the image of God. And therefore, to really learn what it means to be an image bearer, I'm an image bearer of God, I must learn something of who God is, right? We first need to go to God and say, he's going to help me. Knowing something about God is going to help me understand what it means to be a human if I'm in his image, says Genesis 1, chapter, or 1, verse 26, that we are created in his image. Therefore, to learn about what that means, it starts with God. And then if all of you are image bearers as well, then I should probably explore God with other image bearers because apparently he wanted his image bearers to be not just one person, but a community of image bearers. And so at the beginning of our Bibles, we actually see that kind of picture, okay? Um, there was God physically, literally here, okay? And he created Adam and Eve and they were physically and literally with him, and he said, it's not good that Adam is alone. And so he made uh, Adam and Eve, and they were able to also create life just like he created life. And he created this, this place where he was going to actually be with humans with no physical restraints or separations. They were going to be with him. And this is what the Bible means by shalom, by peace. 
There was no sin in that place. There was no death in that place. It was the fullness of community and the trueness of the word with God himself. That is a sort of life and that we truly experience the fullness of being human is to be with God. Because you and I, as we're going to see, when we broke trust with God, when we, when we um, uh, uh, sought the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, the, the goal of what we were seeking after was something that didn't belong to us. It was things that only belonged to God. So to sum it up, when we took that famous fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were trying to essentially be our own God. We said, you know, we're, we're with him, but maybe he's withholding something from us. Maybe we can do this on our own. Maybe we can take up the things that belong to him and say, we can, we can do this. We can define what is good and evil. We can take our life into our own hands. We can take all these matters into our own hands and do as we please. So naturally what happened when we did that, sin entered the world. This life of death entered the world. There was a break in relationships, okay? If you want to know what, what missing the mark is, the first place you got to look is in broken relationships in our life between God and between others. Because the first thing that happened after we sin was exile from God's presence. We can no longer be there. Sin created a break in that relationship between us and God. Didn't end there, though, because what happened just the chapter after that, in chapter 4 in Genesis, the first children that we have on record here in Genesis 4, what happened to those two, Cain and Abel? They killed, like Cain killed his brother. Talk about a, a breach in relationship there, I would say so. So not only are we exiled from God's presence, in human relationships there is now brokenness. We know those stories have only amplified right? And that's the goal of being image bearers of God was to be with him and with humans in unbroken relationship and harmony. But when sin entered, all of that is now broken and scattered. And we were exiled unto this earth, trying to fill that void inside of us that is God-sized with things that are not God-sized. And the only thing that happens is that we're always trying to be happy and find meaning in and of ourselves, And that brings wreckage into our own relationships. You expand that to cities and nations and kingdoms, and you have that on the global scale. You have introduction of wars and weapons created to kill other people. All the story of brokenness that has taken place throughout all of human history, it began because we missed the mark of being the fullness of image bearers that God created us to be. Right? That is the chaos of the world that we are in right now. But the interesting thing about sin, though, is like this is it's kind of encoded into our DNA. All right, I had a fascinating example of this yesterday. Um, an, another window broke in our house. I say another window, um, and it was somehow it's always the same kid who breaks windows. I don't know how that works. But this is a story, okay? And it will amplify what I'm trying to say, you know, well here. Is that um, I'm in the living room. I, have my, I haven't played my guitar in forever, and you know I'm a musician. I like to play. So I was playing guitar. James was listening to me, and we were just singing some songs and being silly and having a great time. And Alex was out of the house with the two older ones. And then they hear this like explosion of glass just in the kitchen. Just sound like it just went everywhere, like all over the ceiling. It just sounded like it was just like a bomb went off. And I'm like, oh. I, actually, you know, it's funny. There's a thread here. When Alex leaves the house is when glasses or when windows get broken. I don't know what this is about either. But anyway, it's true, though. It's probably my fault, right? That's probably true. Anyway, somehow it's my fault. But so explosion of glass. I walk in the kitchen, okay, and there's little Nathaniel and Micah just, you know. I'm like, what happened? Nathaniel says, Micah punched the window or the pane on the back door, and it broke. I'm like, okay, Micah. He says, no, we were playing baseball, and we hit a ball, but we didn't have a baseball. We had a walnut. We have a walnut tree. It drops those walnuts. We hit a walnut, and it went through the glass. And he's like, no, Micah, you punched it. And I'm like, okay, Micah. He says, he saw you punch it. What's the truth? And he said, okay, I didn't tell you the truth because I didn't want to get in trouble. And then he goes, oh, there's a walnut we hit. And the thing goes, yeah, there's a walnut we hit. And I'm like, what? It's like, what's the story? I may never know. But the reality is I can't get a straight story, okay? And it's normal because like lying, I don't have to teach my kids how to lie. They just know how to do it. Like, where did that come from? 
You ever think about that? Like, we have to teach them how not to lie because they already know by nature how not to tell the truth to avoid getting in trouble, okay? Show me a kid who, who never lies, right? Or like you have to teach them, here's how you lie. Like, you don't have to do that. They know because this sin that we're talking about is like ingrained into our DNA from day one. You can't shake it out of us. We're born into this, right? It's called our sin nature. It is already there, right? And, and Paul says this, he says, by nature, he says, we were objects of wrath, meaning our nature is being humans because this is so encoded into us. Now God's coming wrath of judgment is now set against our nature to actually judge us and bring eternal death to us. That is what Paul is saying about us and our state before Christ, right? So that is sin, missing the mark, okay? And we're sinful nature. Brief word about transgressions because Paul also says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. What is transgression? Well, transgression literally means breaking trust with someone. Have you ever had someone really close to you break trust with you? Do something to betray you? And you're like, you know, you were somebody that I thought I could trust. And you broke that. That person transgressed against you. Or maybe you, at one point in time, did the same to somebody else in your own life. That's what that word literally means. It's not a normal word we use in our culture today that somebody transgressed against somebody else, but that's what it means, breaking trust. Now, how, how have we transgressed? We, 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 I think we know that about us and one another, right? How have we transgressed with God? You know, he created us as a dad to be with him forever and ever, and he says, I just need you to trust me. There's things on this tree that uh, you can't have. I need you to trust me. And we said, No. We want things we can't. We want to be God. And we transgressed against God. We broke trust with him, right? And we broke our father's heart on that day in the garden. So Paul has in mind all this sin and all this transgression now into our own nature. And he uses the idea of the age of the world. So like in Genesis 3, when sin entered the picture, a new age began, the age of this world, right? Because we know that why did Eve eat the fruit? Well, she wasn't by herself, right? Why did Adam and Eve both eat? She wasn't by herself. Satan was there. The serpent was there, tempting and swaying. And guess what? He's still very much behind the scenes with all these things even now. Paul calls him the ruler of this new age of sin and death. He's the one that when we do something, right, or somebody else, we see big news headlines with just, just outright evil actions, like, what? And somebody actually willingly did something. Well, behind the scenes, we may not see it, but there are satanic realities influencing this, these evil actions to occur, right? When there's brokenness presence, people may be willingly doing it, but we know behind the scenes there's a tempter in his deceitful ways, swaying people and influencing people to bring death and destruction onto even their own life. And Paul says, this is the reality. Like, this is the world we're living in. And you state all of that if we just said, like, and that, friends, is understanding our story. See you next week. You're like, well, that's, this is, this is hopeless, right? This is, this is a problem. Like, what do we do, Paul, right? How do we, can we pull ourselves out of this? Like, how do we reverse all of these things? Well, verse 4 begins with a very powerful word. It's a um, conjunction of sorts, okay? It, it, it says, we were over here, and he says, but, and some, some translations say, but God, and NIV here is, says, but because of his great love for us, God. He says, but God. This was the reality, but God. But because of his love, because the riches of his mercy, God intervened into this story, and he made us alive in Christ. Even while we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It says, but the love of God, the God who was rich in mercy, he says he made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in sin and transgressions. God sent his son Jesus into this world. He never once transgressed 
against God or anyone in this world. He never once missed the mark of actually living out his being an image bearer of God. Right? He was fully human in that regard and experienced all the joys, the immense joys of being human in a broken world, which for him led to immense suffering as he did not live a life missing the mark. He truly lived out his humanity in the way God designed humans to live. He never sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, death had entered into our story. Not only the ways of death, but actual death. The final punishment of our sins and transgressions was death itself. Death now and also eternal death and suffering in the age to come. But however, because of his love and grace, it says that Jesus left heaven and he went on a rescue mission. He went on a rescue mission to do something about this. He died a death that covered all of us. That's the word atonement. It means a covering. He covered all of us with his death. Death. It, it paid for all of our sins and it even redirected the wrath of God from us onto himself. He was the way, he was the truth, and he is the life, the truly human life. And he brought back, he was brought back to life three days later, and he makes available now all the transgressions and sins, he makes available the forgiveness of them, the opportunity to have a clean slate, the opportunity to have a new story and a new name and a new beginning that says, you know, all those things that characterized my life before, it does not have to be my story anymore. Like you're telling me I can be delivered from those things? You're telling me that I can be saved from those things and find people who also are saved from those things? Says yes, but it's only found in Jesus Christ. It's the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit, to have a changed heart, a renewed mind. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead now dwells in you to give life to your mortal bodies even now, says Paul. And it's funny because as he's trying to tell this story, he kind of like interjects this almost, it kind of seems random initially. He explains it more in a minute. This is like random thought as he's like, but because of his love, like God, who's rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ when we are dead in our sins. And he kind of stops almost like parentheses. He's like, grace, it was by grace that you were saved. Like he couldn't hold it back anymore. It just like interrupts the flow of thought. He says, it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace has saved you. What is grace? How do we define grace? Christian author Philip Yancey defines the grace of God like this. He says, grace means that there is nothing that I can do to make God love me more. And nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I who deserve the opposite, that I am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. Grace, grace, grace. We are saved by grace, an undeserved gift. And we'll unpack that more, but I just had to mention, like, it's like Paul's interjection, like, yeah, man, it's alive. Grace, it's so good, grace. Okay, we'll get back to that in a minute. And he continues on, right? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So back to our story, we were made alive in Christ by God's rich mercy and love, saved by grace, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. It's one of the very few places where it's kind of stated like that, that we now are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. It's kind of like, well, I don't know, I think I'm here right now, Paul. Like, what are you getting at? Like, how am I in heaven right now, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, right? And there's lots of different ways to talk about this, but there's a... I think I can use the word like you can use the word mystical, almost like a mysterious thing that happens when you become a Christian and his spirit fills you, you're in this union with Christ that is really hard to explain, but he fills you, and it's a bond that just can't ever be removed from you between you and Christ, and even there's some kind of spiritual reality in heaven that's reflective of your presence in Christ even now. I don't know how that works. It's very interesting, but it's there. And Jesus says, once it's there, it can't be plucked away from you, right? Once the sheep is in his hand, you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? This is what Paul is getting at. There's an authority that Christ earned when he defeated death, and we are sharing in that authority over sin even now, today. 
So there's a lot going on here. We're, we're working through this. Uh, we've been talking about the nature of being delivered from the age of the world and our life of former death. In Jesus, the opportunity comes to be made alive. And Paul says it elsewhere like this. He says that we have been delivered in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I got to say this, guys. We never graduate from hearing the simple message of the good news. Because this is always good news. Because we'll never be perfect in this life. We know that once we're Christians, it's not like sin just like goes away, right? We have a renewed mind. And in some ways, it seems to get worse because you become more knowledgeable of like, wow, I'm like actually worse than I ever thought I was. <laughs> like, I'm, I can't believe that my heart is really that wicked. Like, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit's like a flashlight and he goes into your souls. And he's like shining stuff all the time. You're like, whoa, I'm worse than I thought. And it's, the message is always like, that's okay though, because there's grace. He's forgiven you of that. I'm just showing you so you can learn how to turn from this, but grace upon grace, he is always faithful to forgive you of your sins. If you're here this morning, you're just like walking with that burden of just like, I, I just, if you saw my heart, you wouldn't believe the things I think of and the things I do sometimes that nobody sees. And like, I'm just a miserable, disgusting person. God could never love me. Like, that's a lie, friends, if that's you this morning. It is a lie from the pit of hell. His love cannot be taken away from you. It is maxed out on you. You can do nothing as a Christian to decrease that love. It is fully on you. Friends, rest in that this morning. Rest in that this morning. We have to keep going. We're made alive in Christ in order. Why are we made alive in Christ? that we might show his grace in the coming ages. It's not something that we get to hold on to as our own little secret gift, right? We need to show this. In verse 7, it says this. Um, uh, uh, we, are, we are saved by grace. Seeth the right hand of uh, seeth with Christ in the heavenly places. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. To be a Christian means to be little Christ. That's what the word literally means. And as we are restored back into relationship with God by Jesus, brought into a community, a redeemed community, and we're, we're kind of like a little mini Garden of Eden right here. That's the idea that we're together again with God, however imperfectly that is, right? We're, we're working on that. We're a work in progress our whole life. And as we are restored back into relationship with God by Christ through his spirit, we are naturally sent out like Jesus was. He was sent out of heaven. Like he left heaven to go into this world to provide grace and provide a way to know God. And now when we receive Christ through faith, as we'll see, we are now sent to also express this grace that we have received to others. And then Paul uses the phrase, in the coming ages, right? And that's the same word he used about the age of this world, right? There's a new age entered when Jesus came. It's like overlapping with this one. And that age will come in its fullness, as we saw, or we were praying earlier, but the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven. That's the final age when, when, when God gets sin and death and forever throws it into the lake of fire with Satan himself. And that world is completely purified and removed of those things. But there's an overlap of the ages. And it's still the age is still coming now when Christ is at work in us and at work in you and sin's being defeated in you. People are getting glimpses of the grace that is, of it, that is coming in that future age right now. But that can, that can only happen if you're out there, right? If you're out there showing that grace and not hoarding it as if it belongs only to you. No, the world needs to see and to hear about the grace of God in Christ. And so we continue on to verse 8, right? One more reason why we're made alive in Christ, for good works. We are saved by grace for good works, verse 8. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we zoom out 
and we, we get this story straight. It says God unleashed grace on us. Undeserved grace but because we were by nature, it says, children of wrath, sinning and falling into transgressions ever since Adam and Eve. It was not until that one man came from heaven um, and died and ascended back to heaven and sent down his spirit from heaven that we have hope. It says by grace you have been saved. And all of it is through faith. None of it, however, is from you. To be saved from these things is a gift from God. Let's talk about a gift here. So imagine like somebody came and helped me work on my car like the day before Christmas. And then Christmas comes and I'm like, oh, here's a Christmas gift for helping me with my car. And you would say like, it feels more like a payment, not like a Christmas gift, but okay, right? And you would take that gift. A Christmas gift isn't saying like, oh, this is like your, your, your wages for helping me. That's not a Christmas gift. A true like birthday gift or Christmas gift isn't, you know, dependent on something you did to earn it. It's just like, here's a gift because I love you. Like, you're awesome. Here's a gift. Merry Christmas. Like, here's a gift. It's your birthday. Great. Here's a gift. It's not like you did something for me yesterday to earn it. It's just because you're alive and I love you and here's a gift. All right? And that's the idea of a true gift. You didn't earn that gift. It's just given to us by God because he says, I love you. You don't even deserve to be loved by me because you're so sinful. But you know what? I still love you. And I'm chasing after you. And I've given you a gift of salvation that is not coming from you. It's coming from me. That's a true gift from God. All of this work God has done on our behalf because he loves us. And he says it's ours through faith. Right? And faith is complex. Sometimes we think as Christians, it just simply means like, you know, saying like, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, and that I'll go to heaven. And it certainly begins with that posture, right? A belief, like, is he real? I believe he's real. That's an important thing, right? The Bible talks about that too. Like that, that kind of posture is certainly how the Christian life finds its beginnings, is an official kind of moment if you, you know, uh, some of you were, became Christians later in life, and you can think of that moment where you're like, you know, I, I'm ready to like give this over. And you can think of like a prayer or like a certain like situation time. You're like, I was sitting there, and then like a few minutes after I was sitting there, I knew I became a Christian because it just felt different. Some of you have that story. Some of you are, you know, there's a season of life that you kind of made decisions and God was working slowly kind of in your life to bring you to the point of, you know, wherever you were saved on the way. I don't really know. Nobody can really say, but you can at least identify a time in life where you were slowly kind of broken down by God until you submitted everything to him. Because faith is not just, you know, believing into, you know, a certain set of ideas to say, I believe that about God, therefore I'm a Christian. It might begin there. But faith is, the full picture of faith comes with a word I, I think that's helpful is allegiance. It's taking on a new king. It's saying, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, but I am not just going to sit here and do nothing with that faith. Like, Lord Jesus, like, I believe in you and you have all of me. That's what faith, if you look at, if you, you know, look at to what this word really truly means, it is a, it is a allegiance to a new king. It's saying, Lord, you washed my sins, but Lord, you need, I, I give you all of myself. I give you everything. I'm willing to give you, I, I want to give you all of myself. However imperfectly it's going to look, Jesus, I need you to take all of me. Right? He doesn't just want uh, simple you know, belief, uh, a sense into ideas or something. Like, he wants all of you, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And he's saying, give it to me and I have a wonderful gift for you. Right? There's even hints at the kind of faith that is required for salvation that even that's a part of the gift. Right? Because it's, it's a supernatural thing to want to give your life over to God. To actually give your life over to him right, is a supernatural thing. And he gifts you with these things, and you are his. And so once you do that, um, you become his workmanship, right? Once you give your life over to him, Paul says you are created now, your new creation, for good works. There's a whole life, right? That's why he calls for all of you. And he says, like, once you pass that, that, that realm, into the realm of faith into God, he's like, God has, this is really cool actually, think about this. 
Like, he's been waiting for this moment to come in your life because he has a whole new life of, like, prepared for you. That's what he says. Like, there is all these works and all these good things that he is asking, he's, like, prepared. He's like, you have no idea the things I prepare for you, and they're all yours. I can't wait to give it to you. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm this is a gift. Like, come. Like, I have all this stuff prepared for you to do. I'm going to help you. I'm going to energize you through the Spirit for these things. I'm going to fill you and equip you with the gifts you need to do it. I have all these things prepared for you. It's a beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture that we could spend another hour walking through. But we have to kind of start working on the back end of our sermon here. I'm going to call our worship team up for a closing song. What you heard this morning is, it is the good news. When we hear Christians say the good news, this is what we're talking about. This is the gospel. This is all that we hinge our hope on. Coming up, we will be having a new round of, of baptisms, at least since the first time that I've been here. Um, and they're coming soon. If you're here this morning, and you hear this stuff, right, and you have not been baptized, and you say, I, I, I need Jesus. I want to, because baptism is just an identification. It's when that faith is placed in Christ, it is an identification before, it's a public proclamation before the body of believers in Christ to say, I recognize who I once was. Am I striving after the wind? I know that I needed salvation and help from my sins. And I know that Christ rose from the dead, and I need the same power that rose him from the dead to give me new life now. And so when somebody is brought beneath water, it is a visualization of the death. Paul says that we have died with Christ in this kind of transaction scenario, right? You're recognizing that person's dead that I used to be. That's when the person goes under the water. And when they're lifted up, though, and the water just drenched them, and their hair is all wet, and they're coming up, and it's pouring out, you're saying, I'm raised out of that grave, just like Christ was, into the newness of life. And if, if you're here this morning, you have not been baptized, would you please come talk to us? But more importantly, if you're here this morning, and you just, you want to become a Christian, maybe even for the first time, we're going to have Pastor Jim DiBiaso up here, um, and we'll have the other elders up front as well. Um, come, like, pray with us. Like, we want to guide you into these things. If you are a um, uh, Christian and you, you heard things this morning that have stirred your heart, right, that uh, I, I want to remind you of that Les Miserables story of, of that man who was just, his life was altered when he experienced grace. Because grace is powerful. Grace is otherworldly. Like, think about this idea of, you know, you know, the, the, the survival of the fittest, right, and the strongest survive, and that kind of narrative of our human story. Like, grace doesn't fit in that story. It doesn't seem to be a natural product of this world, right? You don't look at, science does not tell you, okay, that nature is a gracious place, okay? Um, I was just over here, and there's a, this was an interesting thing, I was sermon prepping, there's a three-legged cat walked by me, and a stray cat, like, jumped, and it started, like, killing each other. And I'm like, what is going on right now? Like, Nature's vicious, right? And if that's our only story, then grace doesn't fit into nature, okay? We see lots of death and destruction in this world. Grace seems to be this otherworldly supernatural thing that says an undeserved gift for what purpose? Not for the benefit of the receiver, sometimes even uh, for the benefit of the giver. Sometimes to the harm of the giver do we give grace to others. Sometimes we suffer as we give grace to other people, just like Jesus did. That story makes no sense. Maybe your Christian this morning need to be reminded again of the grace that you have received from. Are you a gracious person? Is your life characterized by grace? When somebody walks up next to you, maybe even in this church service, who looks different than you and, and smells different from you and comes from a different background than you and has different color skin than you, whatever different story, and they sit next to you, you're just like this person doesn't like me. Uh, are, 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 how do you respond, right? With grace? To say, what's your name? What's your story? What brought you here? How can I pray for you this morning? We're in Christ. We're all together, right? Are you going to be a gracious church to where we are known for our love, known for our compassion unto others? Not known for our judgmental finger, finger pointing, but rather known for our grace. Because I read the story in Ephesians 2, and I'm like, yes, Lord, make us be a gracious people. There's nothing more powerful than an act of grace in our lives. And I, I pray that at the end of the sermon that we can be reminded of that. 
that if you feel bent down by your own sins, that you need to know his grace is sufficient once again to cleanse you of those sins. And he wants to empower you to step into other people's lives, to be a vehicle of grace and mercy. Because there's one thing missing in our current cultural climate, it is grace. Nobody's being gracious to one another right now. Nobody knows how to be gracious. May the church be that light in our cultural climate that says, no, 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 we're going to be people of grace. Let me pray. Jesus, um, thank you for the good news. Lord, I pray if somebody's here that needs to meet you for the first time, if you've been stirring in their heart that they will not leave here, Lord, without giving themselves over to you, that as we see baptisms coming up here, Lord, that we will see many people baptized, Lord. We pray that. I also pray for those who've been walking with you this morning for perhaps even decades, Lord. Would you remind them of your grace, Jesus? Would you fill them, Lord, with, if, if there's somebody who has sinned against them in their own life and they're just having a hard time, Lord, just releasing that, Lord, and forgiving, would you empower them, Lord, to be gracious to that person, even though they don't deserve it, Lord? Because we know that the grace we receive from you, we didn't deserve it. Lord, what a burden could be released if we find that, Lord. Because vengeance and retaliation and bitterness and those things just destroy us, Lord. Would we be people of grace to one another, people of grace to those who have sinned against us? Lord, for the one who came in here just feeling the, the stains of their own guilt and shame that they just walked in here and they just don't know what to do with it and they just feel like it's part of who they are and it's just stuck in, almost like in between the letters of their name. Lord, cast that away from them, Lord. Remind them through your spirit that they are your child still. That the cross is sufficient to wipe them of that, Lord that your spirit is still longing and begging just to take more control of their hearts to raise them into the new ways of life that you have prepared for them, Lord. We love you. We thank you for these truths, Lord. You are a gracious, gracious God, Lord. I think of that prodigal son story of the, the son who was, uh, took all the inheritance and just left and ran away and just squandered it all. And in that story, the father was just anxiously waiting for the son to run back into his arms and even ran to meet him. Lord, that is you and us, Lord. You ran to meet us and hug us and embrace us even, even after the sin and the horrible things that we have committed, Lord, in our hearts and our minds. Because you love us, Lord, and it's undeserved. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the resurrection. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's rise to our feet. Exalt the Lord our God.
Hallelujah.